Jim Talbot will be giving our message today. Thank you. Happy St. Patty's Day. <laughs> Although I'm half Irish, I learned all my Irish accent from Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. Oh, am I alive? Okay. Let's pray before we start. Almighty God, I just thank you, Father, for who you are. I thank you, Father, for for making us, for loving us, for giving us all that we need. I thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die for us, die in our place, and to rise from the dead so we could our sins would be paid for and so we can live forever with you if we would put our faith in him. And Lord, when we put our faith in him, we are sealed with your Holy Spirit, a sign that, that we belong to you, but also as an empowering part of, of our lives that we are not alone. We are here. Each one of us who believe in Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will make that clear to us through the, the scripture we look at today. I pray that you give us the desire to know that power, to, to sense that power, and that that power would be used through us to bring you glory. So bless this time now. Holy Spirit, take control. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's personal. I'm going to give you some personal information. My name is Jim Talbot. I'm 62 years old. I accepted Jesus Christ when I was 27 years old. So, Tim, what's the math on that? 62 minus 27? (laughs) I've been a Christian for 35 years. That's a pretty long time. And looking back, I... I don't want this to be a downer, (laughs) so I'm not going to make it that. But looking back, I tried to do whatever I thought a Christian was supposed to do become a Christian, you start hanging around with Christians, you see what they do, you kind of copy them a little bit, you try to take some of the good things that you see and put them in your life, you try to act like a Christian, like see other people acting, you, you start reading the Bible and, and things start to make sense, and you even start speaking in Christianese, like, wow, I'm really getting there, and this is really good. So 35 years, I could speak Christianese. I don't like to, so I usually use my own language, which is unfortunate for you, but (laughs) Uh, I I did what I thought a Christian was supposed to do. Maybe you're all doing that. Maybe you you can relate, or maybe you're so much higher than I am that, that you're really cruising along, and praise God for that. I taught Sunday school in every church that I attended 
even though I wasn't qualified the first church. I was like a new Christian, and I went in and started teaching Sunday school, and God forgave me for that. <laughs> but he's given me that passion for kids um, and just sharing the gospel with them and, and just teaching them about Jesus. So that, that was good. I mean, I was doing stuff. I, I joined a choir. I sang in the choir, which was a lot of fun. And um, I served in other ministries. We had home groups in our, our house. Um, I gave to the church eventually growing into actually tithing. Um, I became more faithful in reading scripture. And so eventually I actually became an elder. Scary thought. Um, So 35 years of doing stuff that I thought Christians should do, that God wanted me to do. And then I read scripture and it kind of like cuts through everything. And it says this. If you ever read, if you ever read Luke 17.10, it goes something like this. So, Jim, you also, if and when you have done everything you were told to do, big whoop de doo <laughs> That's the Jim Talbot version. That's the, that's the version that goes around in my head when I read the Bible. The more reliable translation is, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And I'm thinking, I've done my duty, I guess, sort of, kind of. I've copied Christians. I've, I mean, I'm not doubting my faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe I have his Holy Spirit. I believe I have eternal life. And I believe he's given me gifts, spiritual gifts. And I think I've been using them. I try to respond how I think I should respond. But I just feel really, it's been so long that I felt I'm going through the motions. Is there any power in my life? Am I affecting anything? Or is this just me? Jim, just acting like a Christian, just doing my duty. So I'm at the point now where where I want more. I I can't go on like this anymore. I'm not going to give up my faith. I I honestly, sincerely believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that nothing's going to change that. I'm his. But this life I'm living is like, It's not, but that's how I feel about it. And I know things have to change. So I've been praying. And I've been going to Jan Nell's things. And I've been praying, reading books that Dennis has given the senior leadership team to read. And then you've heard him talk about in the last couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit. And how if we want to have anything done for the glory of God, it has to be through the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything that gives glory to God except, I mean, outside of myself. I can praise him. Yes, I can give glory to God. I can can pray. I can read the Bible and just, just, that gives him, that gives him glory. But I'm not going to affect the community around me unless the Holy Spirit is involved. I want God to use me, not me, but 
his power through me somehow. You know, I don't want power because that, that's a bad thing. But I want his power to work through me. I have to, I need to have that. <clears throat> so, 35 years, I'm an elder. And I got no power. Why? What's going on here? Why am I not experiencing the things that I read about in Scripture? Where somebody's walking along and God speaks to them and says, Hey, tell them this and heal them or whatever. It's like, is that, why is that not happening? Well, the first reason is when I became a Christian, I was in a church that pretty much taught that the spiritual gifts are are true, but the miraculous gifts that God has uh, given us, they're, they're over with. They're done. That was only for Jesus, for the apostles, for the beginning of the church, kind of, you know, to give it a little push, and then things will just run on its own. And, you know, thinking back, it's like, that makes totally no sense at all. Like, God's going to make this great plan. He's going to give us his Holy Spirit and send us on to die and and he's going to have all these miracles happen so it can kickstart the church. And then he's just going to go, okay, well, let's just sit back and take it easy. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. I don't know if I put that slide in. I did, thank you. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. This is all about God. This is not about you and me. This is about God working out his plan through us, but he's not going to throw us out there and go, okay, come on, do the best you can, and we'll see what happens. That's not his plan. Second, I was never, since I wasn't taught about the Holy Spirit power, the miraculous powers here that, that we have now, I was never trained in accessing them, using them, I bring up Yonel again because that has been um, the real impetus in my life about searching for these, um, for the Holy Spirit's power in my life. So I just wanted to say that I'm fully with Dennis and in bringing in more of the Holy Spirit, not bringing him in, he's already here, but just letting him live in us, actually asking him to live in us, actually expecting him to live in us. I think I've sensed it in this church in the past few weeks. I know I've felt it in my own self that I've been asking for that. And I just feel, I just feel (laughs) more optimistic. I feel more, I don't know. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, I'm not there. It's just that I just feel like my life is coming back. Um, so I haven't been taught scriptural things correctly, and I haven't been trained in those scriptural things that I'm finding out now are true. Another reason that I haven't been experiencing the life that uh, I should be is unconfessed sin. In the past few months... Uh, I've been gradually convicted of a sin that 
has really been debilitating over the last several years of my life. It's something that, uh, it's a sin that, that actually calls God a liar, and it puts my own truth over his truth. You know, just like uh, Eve in the garden, Satan came up to her and said, did God really say that? No, he's just trying to keep you down. You know, this is what he really means. And I believed that lie. I took that lie and I believed it because it, it actually fit comfortably with me. It, I became friends with that lie. I let it affect my life. The lie was that God really won't talk to you. He's, you're a special case. He's not going to talk to you. He'll talk to everybody else. They'll, they'll have the, uh, the real close connection. You're just going to have to, you know, see how it goes, follow along, try to get a word from somebody else, but I'm not going to talk to Jim. That's, that's the lie that I, I kind of accepted because it was comfortable. It fit my personality. I'm not a social being. I'm... I'm pretty much a hermit. <laughs> if, I, if I don't come to church, I'm in the house, I'm working or whatever. Uh, but God has, God has convic- convicted me over the past few months that this, this is a lie and it's holding you down and it's keeping the Holy Spirit from actually living through me. Um... I share this with you. It's personal but I'm sharing it with you because some of you may have a lie lie going on in your life right now. Maybe maybe the lie is nothing like what I'm dealing with or maybe it's exactly like what I'm dealing with. Maybe you feel like God doesn't really talk to you. You know, the super special Christian people get God's word, but you're just going to struggle through on your own. Maybe you're believing that, but it's a lie. And if you believe a lie over God's word, that is a sin. And we need to confess our sins. Sins grieve the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's going to curl up in a ball and cry in the corner. It means you've offended him. And when you offend somebody, it kind of breaks off the communication. You've built a wall, and he's not going to be able to communicate with you. It says here in Psalm 66, If I had cherished sin in my heart, which I did, the Lord would not have listened. I didn't confess it because I thought this is the way God wants it to be, so okay. Because I believed the lie against him. And then he showed me, no, that's a lie. And you have to actually read the Bible, Jim, and believe it. And see the scriptures that say, I will, you not, I'll knock. If you open the door, I will come in and be with you, to eat with you, to fellowship with you. That's not a, a verse that talks about saving somebody. That's talking to a Christian about having uh, fellowship with the, the holy God of heaven. He wants to be personal with us. He wants to talk to us. And I've spent so much time blocking that out, thinking that I'm a special case. Maybe it's obviously pride when you think you're a special case. And pride is the main source of sin.
So, that's pretty personal. What does personal mean? Personal means it's an attributive belonging to or affecting a particular person rather than anyone else. Or of or concerning one's private life, relationships, and emotions rather than one's career or public life. So if I thought, okay, I'm sinning and I'm believing a lie over what God has said, but that's just me, you know. How does that affect anybody else? Does it? No, it's a private personal sin, right? Wrong. Sin is never personal or private. Never, ever. Although you may want it to be, you may think it may be, but it is not. Sin happened once in the garden, and look how it affected entire creation. Creation, not just people, creation. The earth is broken. People are broken. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked in the garden, Adam and Eve. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They didn't even see each other and themselves the same way anymore. Sin just shattered the perfection that they had. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Ah! And they, they panicked in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their relationship with God, which was just so open and loving and just, they were friends with God, shattered. They're hiding from him. These aren't the only examples of sin a private sin, a personal sin affecting others. The main story that I'm looking at today takes place in Joshua. Moses has now died. Joshua has taken over and he's leading the Israelites into the promised land. They finally crossed over the Jordan and they're, they're going up against Jericho and God gives them Den- Dennis is paying me back for that New Year's Eve party I had back there. Good job. So, so God says, I'm going to be with you. Go up to Jericho and take the city, and everything in that city belongs to me. You get no spoils. This is the first city you're taking over. I get everything. It's mine. Just do what I say. So they do. They do exactly what he says. March around, blowing their horns once a day. The seventh day, they do it seven times. They blow the horns, they shout, and the walls come down. God destroys the protection of that city, and they, they conquer it. That was probably longer than what was written there. But anyways, somebody screwed up. Somebody disobeyed. Somebody sinned. Somebody kept some of the things devoted to God and hid them in his tent, buried them, and kept it a secret. It was totally private, personal sin. Hey, nobody has to know. Except next time they went out to, the, to battle, they were going to AI or A or I, however you pronounce it. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to AI which is near Beth-Avon, 
to the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. They know that God's going to fight for them. He just did. And they are, they're confident. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. God had said, I will be with you. I will fight your battles. You do what I tell you, go, and we will win. The people believed that. They said, wow, this is such a small community. We can take this. With God's help, we only need 3,000 people. Let's go up and do that. They weren't being overconfident. Like I used to think, oh, they should have had a bigger army. Then they would have won. No, that's not the point of the story. didn't matter how many they had with them. The point was that God was not with them now because of the sin of one man. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of God, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? (laughs) Yeah, it's God's fault. Sure, thanks. Okay. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord, but what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? He's not blaming God here for the whole thing. He said, we lost the battle. We didn't succeed, but either did you, God. I love God's reply. I, actually, looking at this, this is me telling God, God, I'm tired of this, you know, going through the motions life. I'm tired of just doing stuff that Christians are supposed to do. I'm tired of using my power to try to do something great. And God's answer is this. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Was that wrong to be down on my face to God? No, I don't think it was. But I'm like asking God, how, you know, what's going on? How come you're not living through me. How come I'm not feeling the power? He's like, Jim, you're a sinner. Come on, clean up your act here a little bit, okay? 
I will not be with you unless you destroy among you what is devoted. And everything in me is devoted to him. We all have sin in our lives. And we all have to confess those sins. And he is faithful to, con- to forgive those sins. But we have to confess all the sins, not just the ones that are obvious. We have to ask God to look into our hearts, into our minds, into our doctrine, our own personal doctrine. What have we adapted to fit us that is not in Scripture, like I did, and destroy it? And you may be saying, well, this is the Old Testament, Jim. This is how God used to treat people. Now that, now that we're Christians, we have a better way of doing things. And I agree. We have the better covenant. We have grace. We have mercy. Our sins have been paid for. But if you look at 1 Corinthians, whoops, here Paul is talking about the Israelites as they are going through the the desert, the wilderness, and they're moving in to take over the promised land. He talks all about all the things that they did that, that upset God. And he said, now these things occurred as examples to keep us, us Christians, New Testament people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Again, he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. We do have the new covenant. We are born again. We are saved. We all, if we are in Christ, we will be in heaven. But these things are warnings for us also. And then again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if one part suffers, talking about the body, the body of Christ, the church, the entire fellowship of believers, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So my sin, my special doctrine that I had for myself was not so private. It was not so personal. It actually affected this church. It affected you, 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 affected everyone here. Maybe not in a way that I could see or you can see, but if, if I didn't have that sin in my life, if I had spent the last couple of years actually living, having the Spirit live through me more, um, who knows what would have been different? Who knows what would have changed? Who knows what God could have accomplished here. And this could be a real downer, but I am feeling so much more excited about knowing that God forgives me. He says, pick pick it up, Jim. Stand up. Move on. Clear up that, that doctrinal problem that you got. Believe me. Pursue the Holy Spirit. Let me live through you. I want to live through you. Now, are you doing the same thing? Do you have a secret sin that you haven't confessed? Do you have 
something going on in your life that's actually keeping this church from functioning to the extent that it could. We all have to ask that. And we all have to hear the honest answer from God. Here's some answers from God for some, some churches. If you read Revelation at all, these are the, the bad parts of the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches that he was um, writing to through John. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand that he's talking about, there were seven lampstands where he was standing amidst when he was talking to John, and each lampstand represented a church that he was writing to. So he's saying, if you do not repent, I will shut down your church. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, he writes to another church. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you, have all, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The Nicolaitans and the teaching of Balaam are basically incorrect doctrine. They're lies brought into the church, you know, which I was believing in my own lie, and maybe you're believing in your own lie. Jesus is saying, repent, otherwise I will come to you and fight against them with the sword of mouth. He's not going to fight against the Nicolaitans. He's going to fight against Christians who are believing false doctrine and being uh, a detriment to the church that they're in. These are heavy, heavy, and I recognize myself in all these. (laughs) Wake up. There it is. Stand up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received. What have we received? The Holy Spirit. Remember that and heard the Spirit-inspired word. Hold it fast and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. So there's Old Testament warnings, there's New Testament warnings about living with unconfessed sin and how it affects not only us personally, but each one of us as a church, as a part of the body. So what do we do? We ask God to forgive us. We ask him to expose in us the sin that we're we're committing, the the wrong thinking, the wrong personal doctrine that we've built around ourselves to protect us, to allow us to not do basically what my doctrine was. Since God doesn't really talk to me personally, I guess I don't have to spend so much time in prayer because it's just me talking to God. So maybe I'll just let that dwindle down. That's a lie. Maybe you're 
dealing with that same life. Maybe your prayer life is non-existent or extremely weak at best. Confess it. Ask God to help you. That's what he wants to do. Ask God to to free the Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit permission to, to actually talk to you. Holy Spirit, take control. I, I surrender to you. So how many times do we have to do this before it happens? Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Thinking seven is a good number. Seven means completeness. But Jesus said, no, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven times. He's saying infinitely, completely forever. I mean, every time they come, forgive. And if Jesus is saying we have to do that, how about God? Is he going to be any less forgiving than Jesus is telling us to be? God is waiting to forgive those sins. The sin has been paid for. It's just the relationship that we've broken that he wants to rebuild. When we confess, he is faithful to forgive. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This little paragraph here kind of sums up a lot of what I'm trying to say today is that Confess your sins. You will be forgiven. A righteous person's prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. We are to sing songs of praise. It should be flowing out of us. I, that's the thing that I've been talking about, thinking about recently in the past few weeks, that my praise, I just feel it is, it's more, more than me just trying to be emotional about something. Um, I just feel that there's more joy coming out of me. I'm just so thankful that God is, is making this change in me, and I, I want that for you. If, if you're suffering like I was through going through the motions, please ask the Lord to help you, to, to change you, to grow you. Last verse that I want to look at. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their, land, forgive their sin and will hear, heal, heal their land. This is the God who wants to hear from us. I will do it. I will do it. Turn to me. Confess those sins. Repent of those sins. That means stop doing it and I will forgive your sins. I just want to pray and then uh, give you a, a blessing after that.
Holy Spirit, you are here right now, living inside those who belong to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would well up and bring forth fruit from each one of us, that you would convict us of areas in our life where we have not turned them over to you, where we have clung to lies that keep us from um, your power, from your influence, from hearing from you. Forgive us, forgive us, Lord. And you are faithful and you forgive us. Lord, help us to to seek the, the Spirit's guidance every day, to listen for his small, quiet voice, and to obey as quickly as we can. I thank you, Lord, for the for the focus that Dennis is giving us of the Holy Spirit in our um, Wednesday night study and in uh, the sermons he's giving. I just pray that you would... Uh, work in each one of our hearts to accept this, to, to long for it, to, to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. In Jesus' name. My blessing to you today is the Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and the wind always be at your back. <laughs> May the sun shine warm on your face, and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, May God hold you gently in the palm of his hand. Amen. Thank you.